Let's pray. We thank you, Father God, for your word to us. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We think of all the stories that he has inspired over the years. And we ask you that you would teach us more of yourself today. Through the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So Paul was waiting in Athens for his friends Silas and Timothy. And as he did when he was in a a new town, he walked around a lot. And he was really disturbed to see Athens was absolutely swamped with altars and gods and idols. In fact, a Roman historian joked at that time that it was easier to find a statue of a god than a person in Athens. The place was bristling with them. The word that's used is is like it was swamped with statues of gods. Everybody had their own god or their own combination of gods that they would sacrifice to. The streets ran red with blood. It must have been pretty gruesome. Pretty gruesome. Um, And Paul, as also was his want, he went to the, the local synagogue the first thing he did, and he, he talked about Jesus, because that's, he couldn't shut up about Jesus. So he went to the local synagogue, he talk, told them about Jesus. He told people in the marketplace about Jesus. He could talk to anybody, whether they were of high or low status, whether they had education, or whether they had been a slave for their whole life. And he talked about this person who was dead and is now alive. And for the Athenians, this would have sounded insane because they, they loved talking about new ideas. In fact, Athens in that day was probably closer to our culture than we might think. Very, very similar. They had these different groups of philosophers who would, would just banter and argue with each other in the streets and in the marketplaces. There were the um, Stoics and the Epicureans who thought very differently about what life was, what the meaning of life was. Um, and people were, were just avid to hear what the next newest big idea was. So yeah, most people thought Paul was crazy because he had only a simple message about a person. But some people thought, right, we need to learn a little bit more about this person, about Paul. So they invited him to the Areopagus, which was the place where the, philosopher, the main philosophers went and discussed their ideas. And Paul could have the stage, which it sounds like Paul really liked. So Paul got up, and this is interesting. He told them the story, but he did not, in the version that we have in Acts, he didn't use the name of Christ initially. What he said was people of Athens. He said men of Athens, but I'm going to say people. There may have been some women there. Um, people of Athens, he said. The God, I was wandering around your, your, um, your city and I saw many, many things. It's a beautiful place, he said. I saw a lot of altars to gods and some beautiful statues. 
But I saw this one altar that really interested me. There was an altar and the only inscription on it said, to an unknown God. And I want to tell you today, people of Athens, that you can know this God. This God is the creator of the whole universe. He made everything from the beginning. From nothing, he created wood and trees and plants and animals and rocks. And in fact, everything that goes into creating these beautiful statues and gods that you see before you. This God is not made by human hand. He is not made. This God put everything in place. And this God put himself in every human heart. And he wants people to know him. In fact, he, then he, he did, Paul did something clever, very clever here. He quoted two Athenian ph- philosophers right back at them. He said, in fact, as one of your philosophers says, in him we live and move and have our being. But then he said, in the past, God forgave people for their foolishness, for not knowing him, because there was no way of knowing him. But now... All that is finished because we can know God through somebody that he chose. And this person that God chose actually died but was raised back to life. And through this person, we can know God. But we need to choose to know God because there is going to be some judgment that will be decided by that person himself. Now, the Athenians had been listening very, very carefully. But as soon as Paul started talking about somebody coming back from the dead, they basically started jeering at him and possibly throwing things. Maybe they, they, were, more, they were not like football hooligans. But that, in the, in the Athenian, in the Greek culture, was considered to be like, disgusting and ridiculous, which isn't far wrong in some ways in, in, our, in our world. What a crazy story. What a crazy story. Most people in the Areopagus stopped listening to Paul. They didn't want to hear any more. They thought he was full of it, basically. But there were a few people, a very, very few, who followed him. There was a man called Dionysius and a woman called Damaris. Those are the only two names that are mentioned throughout Paul's entire stay in Athens all of those people he talked to. So there is a reason why I chose this story as the last story in our series. Is Like I said before, the, the Athenians of that day were very, very close in culture to us, to what we have around us. And I think the way that Paul went about dealing with this has so much to talk to us, to say to us today. And I'm just going to answer, as I often do, three big questions about this and that, that really popped out to me. And the first question is, what are the local gods around us? In Athens, the place is bristling with gods and other things to worship. And it's interesting that Paul mentioned, and it mentions in the passage, 
that they were very beautiful. They were lovely to look at. They were perfect craftsmanship. They, they couldn't have been more beautiful. Um, there would have been uh, statues of Zeus, Athena, Apollo, Artemis, among many, many others. Around us today, we have many things that detract from our worship of God, from our, our knowledge of Jesus. The thing is, these things that people worship, and if we're honest with ourselves, these things that we worship sometimes are usually very good. Things like comfort, our homes, our children's education, our grandchildren maybe, holidays, independence. These are good things. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. But it's when those things get between us and God that we need to start really, really considering what to do. And it's like a lot of things. It, it's not a cut and dried thing, is it? It's not that, oh, it, if you just go and stick yourself away in a cave somewhere and think about nothing but Jesus, you'll be fine. No, because your stuff will follow you. There'll be something else that will get in the way. Our island has been um, sprouting idols for a long time. One of my patron saints is um, St. Melitus, because that is the college I went to. I went to St. Melitus College. St. Melitus was one of the first archbishops in this country. And he was sent here by Pope Gregory. And he sent a letter back to Pope Gregory saying, there's no way I can convert these heathens. They've got idols everywhere. There's, there's altars everywhere. I don't know what to do. Do I have to conquer them? Do I have to destroy all these idols? And Pope Gregory said something very wise. He said, the temples of the idols in that nation ought not to be destroyed, but let the idols that are in them be destroyed and let altars be erected to God. For if those temples are well built, it is requisite that they be converted from the worship of devils to the service of the true God, that the nation seeing that their temples are not destroyed, may remove error from their hearts. So the people were permitted to keep their sacred days and holidays. And of course, we know that a lot of our Christian festivals were actually appropriated. So there is, there is good in some of these places of worship, in some of these things that we as humans just naturally want and need. But somehow we need to learn how to use these things in a good way. In a way that points us to God apart, rather than away from God. So first question is, what, where are the idols? What are the, what are the local gods? The second question is, where are the big questions being asked? Now Paul was great at talking to every, anybody. He just wandered around talking to whoever. Um, he spent a lot of time walking around silently as well, looking at things around him. Not judging, just trying to understand, trying to get to know people. And he was very good 
at going into people's lives. If you, if you think back a couple of years, I think, to when you did the um, whole life discipleship course as a preaching course, it was the idea of front lines. So all the different parts of our lives where we intersect with, with anybody else can be our front lines, our battle lines, if you want to look at it like that. But the thing is with that, we're not expecting people to come to us and ask us about Jesus. We are expected to go out, not to be like Paul, because goodness, the world would be exhausting if we were all like St. Paul. <laughs> it would be an interesting place, but be, to be ourselves, to be in the lives that God has given us, to be the people we are. I wonder where you naturally have conversations with people or where you naturally hear people talking about things that they care about. Maybe it's Tesco's. I've had a lot of bizarre conversations in Tesco's, actually. Uh, maybe it's a coffee shop. Maybe it's a pub. Maybe it's a sports center. Maybe it's when you're picking somebody up from a school gate. Maybe it's in the place where you live. Where are the big questions being asked? Where are people talking about things that might lead them to Christ. The world is a surprising place. I was, um, I was visiting a friend of mine a couple of weeks ago, and she had to go and do something in the church where she works. Right next door is a little building where they have lots of alternative therapies going on. So there's a um, chiropractor, and there's a, a studio where they do Pilates, and a, a little hippie-like cafe where they make things out of flax. So... Um, some really terrible brownies I had there, but that's, that's by the by. Um, I started chatting to the people who were there, and every one of them said to me, when I told them what I do for a living, oh, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. Now that is a place to start. What a ridiculous statement. But I didn't say that to their faces. Um, hopefully my face didn't betray that. So, yeah. Not religious, but spiritual. Right. Can you really take these things apart? But that statement is something that we hear so much in our world. Now, I don't want anything to do with the boring parts of being spiritual, but I'm, I am spiritual. I'll do whatever I want. I'll do a bit of yoga. I'll do a bit of this. I'll do a bit of somebody putting stones on me and saying that I'm healed. Um, yeah, that just betrayed my great cynicism there. Um, but it's, it's somewhere to start. Start where people are. Try not to judge them like I just totally did. Um, so we had some very interesting conversations. And hopefully those people who are very open-minded will think that, that maybe they could, they could venture into the church next to their, their cafe, which actually sells better cookies than they make. So, the third and last question. So, what are the local gods? Where are the big questions being asked? The third and last question, and this is the last question of our series, is what is the story? I found it fascinating in this story. And this, the story of Paul in Athens is one of my favorites for many reasons. But Paul doesn't mention Jesus in that little 
paragraph, he mentions the man, the chosen one. He, he talks about Jesus all the time. But what I believe, and what a lot of commentators believe as well, is that Paul had adapted his story for the Areopagus, for that arena. So he actually used words that he had heard other people using. He was very, very good at appropriating things from around him and using stories that would make sense. Obviously, there were parts of his stories, story that um, people couldn't accept at all, the uh, dead person coming back to life. But essentially, he was telling the same story over and over and over again. He was telling the story of redemption. He was telling the story of Jesus. I would challenge us that we probably only need to be able to tell two stories. Though I do love the idea of of people learning some stories from the Bible and, and naturally telling them to people, there's really only two that you need. You need the story of Jesus and you need your story how you know Jesus. And I would challenge us to learn these in a succinct way that would make sense to people and tell them. It could only, sometimes you only have the chance to say one sentence to somebody. I wonder what that sentence would be. I wonder how you would sum up the gospel to people. It's actually quite a challenge. I think the only way to properly sum up the gospel to people is to introduce them to the person, as Paul did. And the best way I know to do that is to to tell some of the stories of what he did. I know many of you are really good at this already, but I would challenge all of us to keep doing it. And also to tell people about why we bother to come and and be religious and do that. There's nothing wrong with being religious at all. Religion is just the search for truth, the human organized search for truth. And the way we get to the truth is by learning the story of the good news of Christ. May we continue throughout our whole lives learning to tell that story to each other and to people we meet. Amen.